Hello, everyone, and welcome to Best Thoughts. I'm Will Johns. And I'm a very calm and still Rick Johns. My goodness, Rick, I don't think I've ever heard you sound that calm. What's, what's happening with you? Oh, well, I guess I was feeling a little anxious and I may or may not have taken a little bit of Valium before the <laughs> podcast today. Well, Rick, then uh, this, this podcast is perfect for you today. In fact, uh, it's too bad you already took the Valium because uh, we're going to be talking about how you can cultivate calm and stillness without taking a Valium and let go of anxiety as a lifestyle. Oh, snap. I, I took about uh, enough for a horse. But, uh, you know, I feel very chill. And uh, maybe, maybe uh, you could tell us a story, Will, and this will wear off a little so I can focus on our topic for today. All right, so... Sure, Rick. I've got I've got a great story for you, and I'll uh, give you a few minutes to go get yourself injected with some caffeine to <laughs> to balance out. I'll get actually, right on we're, that. <laughs> we're going to be looking at that actually today about how we can get stuck in the trap of of using uh, one drug to help us sleep at night, and then another one to wake us up in the morning all because of not having a way to helpfully deal with anxiety. And my story, Rick, comes out of an experience that I had about 10 years ago. I had just started my doctorate out in Denver, Colorado. I was living in Virginia at the time, and I had a church member who was I knew was going through a lot, and I mean a lot, uh, he was very stressed out. He had some significant health problems. His wife was in a brand new job and was stressed out of her mind. There's just a lot going on with this guy. But unfortunately, the way his anxiety would manifest is that he would come up to me and, and essentially rebuke me or, or the church for something we were doing wrong, in his opinion. And so there was this kind of internal feeling that I had where I just wanted to avoid this guy. Mm -hmm. uh, he would definitely, you know, spark my anxiety because he would bring up something like, well, the music needs to change. It's too, it's too wild. It's too upbeat. And I would just feel anxious because I would feel like I need to solve his problem. But I would also realize I can't solve his problem. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, I don't have all the power to just make all the changes that he would want. But my people pleaser felt this anxiety. Well, then I was taking this class about how to manage anxiety. And one of the things that the, the teacher suggested was whenever uh, you get an email or a phone call or something that kind of triggers your anxiety you should wait to respond until you're calm enough to mm. really, you know, process it. 
well and, and say what you want to say and handle it the way you want to handle it. And, and so anyway, I'm out there in Colorado, and this guy calls me at 5.30 a.m. Colorado time. Hmm. And uh, I didn't answer the phone, but I see the missed call and the voicemail, and, and part of me is just angry, like, what is his problem? You know, does he have, doesn't he know that I'm, I'm out in Colorado right now? And, and then, you know, feeling anxious, how am I going to deal with this guy? Hmm. And then I remembered what the teacher said. And so I thought, you know, just going to wait until I feel calm enough. And, and one of the things that, that is so tricky about anxiety is when I feel highly anxious, the feeling is so uncomfortable that I want to deal with the issue that's provoking my anxiety immediately so it'll go away. But that feeling of rushing, like, I got to rush and take care of this now, 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 is also part of the problem. It gets in the way of my ability to, to really think through it clearly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I take the break and I call him back and, and just leave a message saying, you know, I'm in Colorado right now. You know, we could talk when I get back. You know, I can't remember where it, where it went from there, but it was like, I had dealt with it and said and handled the situation the way I wanted to. Mm. I felt at peace about that. Yeah. And that allowed me to move forward. But had I called him immediately when I was feeling the anxiety, I guarantee that I would have made more of a mess out of the situation. Right. Uh, in fact, my anxiety would have been dumping fuel on the fire of his anxiety yeah. And we would have both ratcheted each other up. And and neither of us would have been benefited by by that response. <laughs> and I think that is precisely the danger for all of us. Anxiety fuels anxiety. So it mm. becomes a vicious cycle in our families, in our work, in our and the more anxiety we bring to something it can trigger other people's anxiety and then they have more anxiety and we can just make things a lot worse. Like you said, pouring fuel, um, much like the double shot espresso I just got, which I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling fueled up and ready for this podcast. Uh, might be talking a little fast here in a few minutes, but maybe, maybe we can figure out how to get me balanced so I don't have to rely on external substances. Absolutely, Rick. That's, that's really the whole point uh, of her chapter here. And, and I love uh, Brene Brown's definition of calm as creating perspective and mindfulness while managing emotional reactivity. She pointed out that one of the, the things that really drove her to value calm was that she wanted to be a calm parent, hmm. you know, with, with her kids and, and she started to learn a practice where when she got her, her anxiety got triggered, she would count to 10 before responding, giving herself some space to really process what was going on. Yeah. That idea of space is one that has really come to mean a lot to me personally over the years as I have dealt with my own emotional triggers and reactions and reactivity. And if you don't know me, um, I, can, 
I can verify that I have a tendency at times to go kind of scorched earth. Now, I think, Will, you and I were raised in an environment where we were trained not to overreact, trained not to lose our temper, and that training probably was valuable, so it doesn't usually manifest in me like breaking things or screaming and cussing at people, but I will go scorched earth inside myself. Mm, <laughs> yes, yes. And, and I will freak out within my own mind or just take it to that next level of, oh my goodness, I can't believe it in this, and that's the worst thing ever. And then I'm overwhelmed. You know, I'm flooded. To use a psychological term, I'm flooded. My emotions have flooded me, and I'm not able to function effectively for a while until I calm down. And so this idea of space that she brought up, I think, is really crucial. And it's interesting because there's several texts in the Bible, Will, where God says, I'm going to lead you into a spacious land. Mm. I'm going to bring you Mm. in the Psalms. The psalmist says, I'm going to bring you into a spacious place. And I love that Brene kind of brings that out with calmness and stillness because that's what it's about. Some people say, oh, it's about sitting and meditating and not having any thoughts, thinking about nothing. I don't think that's it. I think it's about coming apart into a space where you can step back and look at your life, where you can think about how you want to respond like you did with your man. You know, think about how you're going to respond to the challenges, the anxiety that's all around you. And there's anxiety all around us. It's all around us and it's in us. So we better learn how to deal with it. If we don't, it will destroy us. Yeah, absolutely, Rick. I heard someone say that the Hebrew word that is used for salvation, sometimes in the Old Testament, um, literally means, I will bring you into open spaces. Mm. So salvation is, is like this place of freedom, this place of space. That's absolutely true when we are saved from our anxiety. Uh, we are led into a space where we can see clearly um, what we are dealing with. And, and one thing, there, there are many tools, uh, I think, at our disposal here. And, and I'll just say this, you know, one of the worst loops that anyone could be trapped in, and if this is you, you know, you have my deepest th- sympathies, and trust me, I've been there right there with you, uh, and that is being anxious about being anxious. So, <laughs> you know, so you start feeling anxiety, and then my anxiety loops on itself with, oh no, I'm feeling anxious. And then, and then it ratches it up a notch. And then again, <laughs> oh no, I'm feeling anxious. And, and the, you know, the, the final result of an anxiety loop like this is a panic attack. Yeah. Um, and, and if you've ever experienced something at, at that level, uh, it's very frightening, very scary. And in that, it feels like the anxiety is completely unmanageable, completely, you know, it's like there's nothing that I can do about this. Um, But there's actually many, many ways to break the anxiety loop. And and one of them that I think is, is, is probably one of the best places to start is to talk to someone Uh, because when we share with someone who cares about us 
and who has uh, the ability to stay calm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to add that in there. You know, if you share it with someone who's going to get more anxious than you are about it, um, that won't help you. <laughs> yes, choose choose your friends wisely on that regard. Yes, that because anxiety is contagious, but so is calm. Yeah, but I I, mem- I remember Rick. I don't know if you remember this, but um, you know, in my last church situation, I had a number of situations that. Uh, provoked my anxiety to a very high level. But there were times when I'd just pick up the phone and give you a call mm-hmm. and tell you what was going on. Well, because you weren't in the exact situation that I was, you were able to see it from an outside perspective and remain calm. I was able to let the phone go to voicemail <laughs> so that I didn't get your anxiety. <laughs> You were able to uh, turn the volume off as I ranted. (laughs) (laughs) No wonder you stayed so calm. Yes. Well, this is very disillusioning for me. (laughs) (laughs) But it was it was crazy how how powerful that worked. To this day, you know, I have different people that I turn to for different things. Sometimes I'll I'll run a situation by my wife and. Because she's not in it, and she's looking from the outside. She stays calm and, and asks the right questions, and suddenly everything just looks different. Yeah. And just like you did back in the day um, for me, Rick, where I'm so anxious, and, and you just listened, asked the right questions, and suddenly I realized it's all okay. It's going to be fine. Exactly. You know, as well as sharing with other people, being willing to let go of outcomes mm. is a powerful spiritual move that you can also make. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what you were always trying to lead me to, Rick, when I would share these is just, you know, Will, what do you want to do? And are you willing to let go of the outcome and let it be whatever it is? Yeah, and that goes back to our first podcast when we talked about our journeys and the difficulty we have as humans trying to control what we can't control Mm. and that serenity prayer of, you know, give me the wisdom to know the difference between what I can control and what I can't control and focus my energy on those things that I can. But anxiety, I think the lie of anxiety is I have to fix this. I have to control Mm. it all. I have to make it work out perfectly. If I don't, it's going to be this disastrous failure. My, I'm going to be bankrupt and homeless and my family's going <laughs> to leave me or whatever. Whatever yes. fears. Fear is always uh, the underlying kind of emotion of anxiety. It's always a fear to it that something, if I don't do something, something bad's going to happen. And that's why I think the spacious place And like you said, going to a friend when you're anxious can help. If you go to a calm friend who's in that spacious place, you can bring your anxiety and it gets lost in the space. (laughs) Mm. It dissipates, you Uh, know, kind of like when you put a, a, a drop in the water, you might, even if it's food coloring, it might just have a little red to it, but it, it's less red once it dissolves in a large amount of water and So there's something spiritual here. I remember um, one of my favorite authors on this topic, uh, Ruth Haley Barton, 
she wrote a book called Silence and Solitude that really changed my life because prior to reading that book, I had never thought much about silence and solitude as any kind of uh, virtuous practice or something mm. that I needed or just a powerful uh, tool in my life. And she tells the story of running that rat race. She was a pastor. She was pastoring at Willow Creek. And uh, those who know Willow Creek, one of the most popular and big mega churches that was highly successful. And she said they were just running a million miles an hour doing programs and evangelism and reaching the community and all good stuff. But she found herself just stressed out to the hilt. And she used this illustration. She said, think of a jar of water. In fact, you may even want to do this. Take a little mason jar, put water in it, and then put dirt in it. Just Ooh, grab some a, dirt. Got a little stay-at-home activity, Rick. I like it. Because <laughs> with our creativity <laughs> episode. Yeah. <laughs> so put some dirt in it. And of course, you know, if you shake that up, the, all the water is going to be super dirty and cloudy. You won't be able to see through it. And she said, this is how our lives run. When we run this rat race and we're always hectic and overwhelmed and stressed, we're like this jar all shooken up inside and we're all muddy and dirty and cloudy. Nothing's clear to us and we're just reacting. We're not proactive, we're reactive. But she said, if you set that jar and leave it for an hour or two, the dirt settles to the bottom and the water is clear. You can try it. It works. And it's pretty amazing. And she says, that is why our souls need to come and just sit. Mm. Come and just stop. Enjoy the stillness. Be still and just let things settle. And when you do, things begin to clarify. Yes. Yes, I love that, Rick. What a beautiful um, visual image of, of what we're attempting to do for our internal world. You know, we're attempting to, to bring that calm and stillness. And, and I think for those of you who are, who are willing to take this, you know, to the next level, developing habits of stillness is, is, is truly a powerful, powerful spiritual practice and emotional practice. And, and that means just, you know, something as simple as sitting still and quiet for five yeah. minutes or 10 minutes, you know, or however long um, you feel like you can, you can manage it. It might be uh, 20 seconds when you first try it and, and you, yeah. you can't take anymore and that's, that's okay. But if we start to proactively develop habits of stillness, this is, it, it's kind of like strengthening a muscle. Over time, you're going to find that you'll see you're able to stay in that still, calm space uh, more and more throughout your, your day. Yeah. Um, and we're all human. No, nobody just stays there and floats through life um, 365 days a year, 24-7. Uh, we're, we're going to always have moments of anxiety that, that face us in life. But if you have a place to go back to, then what, what I do, what my practice is, some big anxious thing hits me in the middle of the day, and I think, you know, tomorrow morning in my quiet time, I'm going to process this. Yeah. 
you know, maybe, maybe I don't have a chance to, to get still and quiet very well for the rest of that day because it's busy and packed and I've got one thing after another, but I can, I can give myself a chance to deal with it later. And you know, Will, I think one of the dangers with stillness is, and one of the reasons I think people don't do it and don't stick with it and don't grow in it, this is not just about taking time to be still to solve all your problems. Right. I think it's, it's a spiritual moment. And for those of us that believe in the scriptures, I think it's good to have some positive scriptures maybe to meditate on or focus on. It's a time to remind ourselves that everything in this moment is okay. Mm. We need, mm. that's what I mean by that safe, spacious place that sometimes when I find myself really anxious and I go and get apart for a little bit, I literally visualize like my favorite place. You know, we, we have the joke about go to your happy place. But it's powerful. Like I have several memories of just being one of them's out in the, the mountains of Colorado there and just in a meadow that we, I, I mean, I can see it. I can feel it because I was there. And so just taking my mind there for a few minutes to say, I'm in a safe place right now. I'm okay. Like mm. all these thoughts and fears that are bombarding me, they aren't reality because right now, I'm perfectly safe sitting in this chair or sitting outside or walking in the woods or whatever I do to get my stillness to remind yourself. So you kind of need, I think sometimes you need to kind of self-soothe or, you know, bring God into it, make it a prayer. The Bible has this great text where it says, cast all your anxiety upon him because he mm. cares for you. Mm. So maybe you need to start by God. I'm so worried about all of this. Da, 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 da. Take it, take it, give it to you, put it at your throne Okay, now let's regroup, refocus, and just putting those uh, positive messages to replace the fear, love to replace the fear, safety to replace the insecurity, and bringing those in so that you have that stability. I absolutely love that, Rick, and, and it reminds me of a similar practice that I did when I was having trouble sleeping. Mm. And, and I know there's listeners out there that have had moments, because this is human, happens to all of us, where you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind is racing about something you're anxious about. Yep. Bzzz, just going, going, hard to stop those thoughts. Uh, it's usually, for me, either fixated on something that happened in the past that was uncomfortable, that I'm anxious about, that's maybe unresolved, or it's about the future. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if that? Well, I've got this appointment coming up and I'm anxious about it. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, like we talked about earlier, it's just anxiety about feeling anxious. Oh, no, I'm feeling anxious and I'm anxious about that. Whatever it is, what, what you just said, Rick, here's a powerful intervention that you can do. And this has worked for me like a charm. And that is I'm laying there in bed and I simply say to myself, you know, Right now, you're in a warm, comfortable bed, you're perfectly safe, and everything is fine. Mm -hmm. This moment, in the present moment, everything is fine. And so just changing that self-talk, that internal dialogue with myself, is powerful. You'll start to realize that the anxiety was just there in your head all along. 
See, the lie of it is that it's there in our external circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so the lie is until I can change my external circumstances, I cannot relax. Right. But then when we know we can't change the external circumstances, like if we're dealing with other people that we can't force to change or the weather that we can't force to change or the government that we can't force to change or the church that we can't force to change, you know, there's so many things that are out of our control. If we're dealing with one of those, and most likely we are, um, and we believe we have to change it, of course we're going to be anxious. Yeah. <laughs> but when I realized I don't have to change any of that, I can just talk to myself differently. Yeah. That sets me free. And I think that's the important piece, because how many of us have woken up in the middle of night knowing we have a huge day ahead of us, and it's like 3 a.m., and then we're like anxious about being anxious about the anxiety that we can't sleep. And that, <laughs> I mean, yeah. the irony there, oh, yes. shoot, I, I got this huge day and now I can't even sleep. Now I'm going to be even worse off and I'm going to be sleep deprived and I got to get back to sleep. And then we create all this anxiety trying to get back to sleep, which of course keeps us up. And so it is that vicious, vicious loop. Mm, now yes. we should give a, a shout out here, Will, to our friend Trevin, uh, who let us know that he uses the podcast to go to sleep. Oh, yes, so. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he, see... He, he told me my voice was especially soothing to exactly. him. Exactly. So you're welcome, Trevin. <laughs> so. Anytime uh, having trouble, just put one of these on, and I'm pretty sure Will will put you right to sleep with one of his long explanations about anxiety. You know, this reminds me of a quote that I read a few years ago uh, that just hit me so hard and has been with me ever since. And really, I just want to share it with everyone um, because I think it's so profound. It's by Victor E. Frankel, and it says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. Mm. Mm. I love it. Yeah, just think about that for a second. Between stimulus and response. In other words, something happens, and we use the word triggers, and we all have triggers. Something that creates that anxiety is like instant. And it can be different things, of course, for different ones of us. And for some of us, it can be really powerful if it's based on past wounds or trauma or something we're really afraid of. Uh, if you're afraid of dogs and you see a dog, boom, there's a trigger. So that's the stimulus he's talking about. But there's something between stimulus and response. And that's our power. So we need to stop and we need to recognize there's like this infinite space between that stimulus and how we want to respond. Now, it may seem like a few seconds, but if we get in the habit, and I think this is something we can cultivate, we can cultivate the ability to not just react, not to instantly react, not to immediately mm -hmm. react. I mean, sure, if the bear is lunging at you, yeah, jump and move. But in most cases, it's just something someone said that caught us off guard, that hurt us, that wounded us. And we want to, or it's something our kids, you know, we've talked about parenting here. Yeah. Kids are really good at knowing where your raw nerve is. And when they're mad, they will just stick a pin right into that raw nerve of yours. Yes. And the next thing you know, you can be going off and uh, 
you will not be the calm parent that Brene Brown <laughs> talked about yeah. in her chapter. You will be uh, lighting them up and sharing anxiety with the entire household. So learning to cultivate that space between the stimulus and the response and just pausing to say, yes. wait, I now have a choice. The stimulus happened, but I have a choice how I react. All your growth, all your power, everything is found in that space. The whole trajectory, I don't even think it's exaggeration to say, your whole life is set by how you manage those spaces. Yes, and Rick, I think it's so important you know, to mention here, when we, when we prioritize taking this proactive time to develop stillness, uh, that makes all the difference. That, that yeah. strengthens these calm, still muscles in our, in our being so that, that we have more options there. Yeah. And, and let me just also recommend not only that, and, and we need to talk about you know what we did last week, Rick, to try to proactively develop those muscles by going on a spiritual retreat. Yeah. It was fantastic, by the way. And one of you uh, asked me if I felt guilty doing it. And no, I did not. <laughs> but I did struggle ahead of time, as always. Yeah. <laughs> so we've, we've got to be proactive. And, and so if you're just caught in it and you're like, oh, I feel awful. I hate this anxiety. I'm trying all this stuff. Nothing's working. Uh, for me, it's to get out and go jogging or to do some kind of workout. But, but do something to change your physical state, and, and you may find that that also yeah. helps break the loop for you. Yeah, and Will, we talked about some of the Spartan races and, and training that I did in the past more, and I would tell you joining that world of endurance athletes, um, the joke is they say, oh, everybody thinks we're healthy, but we're doing this for our sanity. <laughs> we're doing this because it's our therapy, because we're stressed and anxious. And yes. I know for me, I did my ultra beast when I was going through a divorce because just I needed to run. I needed to be in the woods. I needed to be on the trails just to, to deal with my, you know, stress and emotions and uh, loss and all the, all the things I was dealing with at that time. Yes. Yes. But speaking of that spiritual retreat, um, you know, we can, all of us may not have the opportunity like we did as pastors. These spiritual treat, retreats are made available to us. And I, I understand that's a luxury, I think, that most people don't have. Right. But you can take a Sabbath. You know, the Bible talks about a day of rest. You can set aside a day as the Sabbath. Uh, you know, Will, we've kept the seventh day Sabbath, as the Bible says, since we were kids. And I think that's huge. A day to get away, a day to rest, a day to remember God's in control. He's got this. He created all this, not me. And so we can just relax. And I think that's a real blessing uh, that especially for our Christian brothers and sisters, you can go in the Bible and study that concept. I think that's what God is getting at. It's a day to bring that calm yes. and stillness into your life. You shouldn't be working stressed out 24-7. And Rick, just for our listeners who really want to take this concept and run with it, I would challenge you to sit down and, and really intentionally put on your calendar the following rhythms. Number one, a daily time of stillness. 
a daily time where you can be still and quiet in God's presence. And I love doing it at the beginning of the day. But mm -hmm. if you can't do that, if you're night owl, maybe the end of the day, maybe in the middle of the day, but find a time daily. Then weekly, as you're talking about, Rick, give yourself a day to be instead of to do. That's what really Sabbath is all about, that concept. Mm. It's all over Scripture. Give yourself that day to just be in God's presence, to be with your family, to be with friends, to relax, to recharge. Um, it's a powerful, powerful practice. Mm -hmm. and, and then maybe once a quarter, give yourself you know, some kind of time away. And, and then a couple times a year, try to take some vacation just to get away maybe for a week or so. And when you build your, your daily, weekly, quarterly, yearly practices, you're going to find that it makes a huge difference. It will change your life. It, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Will, there's one more thing I want to touch on before we close, which I think absolutely crucial to this subject. And in systems theory, the basic premise, family systems theory by um, Murray Bowen, the basic premise is that there's anxiety in every system. Every group of people has anxiety in the system. Yes. Every organization, whether it's a small group or a big group, whether it's your family as a small group, or your city that you live in, or your state, or your country, or your world. <laughs> you know, there's anxiety in all these systems. And it was really helpful for me to understand that humans are constantly transferring anxiety. Yes. And this is, this is what you see. And when you step back and look at it, it's so obvious. So when anxiety rises up, People don't want it, so they try to transfer it. They try to give it to someone else. They try to put it on someone else. Yes. And so that makes a lot more sense when you're dealing uh, with your relationships, whether it be, like I said, at work or at home or somewhere, when you see the anxiety being transferred. And so what I want to challenge all of our listeners to do and to think about is that we can be, as Edwin Friedman, a... A uh, person who wrote about this systems theory says, we can be a non-anxious presence in wow. the system. In fact, he defines a good leader is a non-anxious presence in that system. And wow. that definition has served me very well in leadership. It's something I strive for. And like you said, Will, that calm... If you bring that calm into an anxious situation and you refuse to take the bait of anxiety, you refuse to take the anxiety into yourself and you take the anxiety, but you dissipate it and you bring calm, that calm becomes contagious too. Yes. And you watch the greatest leaders we have ever had from Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King Jr. They came into incredibly stressful, anxious traumatic situations and they brought calm mm. and they changed the world just with their calm. Wow. Wow. So I just want to challenge our listeners as you think about this calmness and stillness, how can I be a non-anxious presence in my home, in my marriage, to my children, to my office and boss and coworkers, to my church, to my community, 
to my country, it can change the world. Yeah, that's so powerful, Rick. And in the future, I know we're going to do some episodes on relationships and we can talk about, you know, learning the, the skills with boundaries and whatnot to, to refuse to take someone else's anxiety. Because mm -hmm. actually, if I take someone else's anxiety, I'm keeping that person from growing and from dealing with their real issues. Yeah. Uh, like the guy I talked about in the, in the beginning today. Um, so we, we need to refuse to take others' anxieties, but also recognize that we will refuse to pass on our anxiety onto someone else. Exactly. And, and that doesn't mean we don't talk to people about it, but, but we own it and say, I'm feeling anxious about this. Yeah. Rather than kicking the dog or screaming at our ch children. <laughs> you made me feel this way. You've made me angry. You, you, like, you. Like as a parent, this is a confession time. As a parent, I know my confessions make some of our listeners feel a lot better about themselves. Uh, <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I'm feeling anxious and then my daughter dump, you know, spills her water on the table at supper time and I, and I let her have it. Oh, how'd you do that? Come on, stop that. How can... Well, the, the spilling of the water has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. But my anxiety uh, needed an outlet, and I exactly. take it out on the innocent. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, Rick, but I'm just very, very committed to not wanting to pass that on to people, you know. And exactly. that means I've got to deal with my own anxiety through some of the tools that, that we talked about today. And I think, Will, that's why we do this podcast. And throughout every episode, I think we've been talking about things that help us develop and cultivate these skills so that we can be that non-anxious presence. We can be that calm that is contagious. Yes, absolutely, Rick. And I, I think we're out of time for today, but this was a great discussion. If you didn't get anything else out of this, listeners, you don't need Valium and caffeine to manage your anxiety. I learned it the hard way. Uh, Rick learned it the hard way. <laughs> there are so many tools available to you. Uh, you know, talking to others, exercise, setting aside times for calm and stillness, being in the presence of God, being in the present moments, inner, internal self-talk, so many tools. And I'm sure we'll yeah. touch on, on some of these more in the future. Uh, but, but next week, Rick, I am excited to look at guidepost number nine, cultivating meaningful work and letting go of self-doubt. Man, I can't wait to, to dive into that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode. You have been listening to Best Thoughts with Dr. Will Johns and Dr. Rick Johns. We're so glad that you were with us and we look forward to being with you again in our next episode.